0: Well I hope you've had a fortnight now full of joy and then this past week joy and thankfulness uh, as you've considered that God is at work in and through and for you. He loves you and he wants to work in you even in trials and so you can rejoice and he loves you therefore you should be thankful. Now that love of God is where I want to begin this morning. I want you to know this, this very basic bedrock fundamental truth of Christianity and it is this. God loves you. I want you to know that. God loves you. He loves you deeply, passionately. You could say he loves you profusely. He loves you with a perfect love. He loves you with an unrelenting love. A love that pursues your good even at cost to himself. He loves you with a truly unconditional love. It's not based on whether are you going to come to church this week or not? Have you been naughty or nice? He's not Santa. He loves you even when you're unlovely. Especially when you're unlovely. He loved us In Jesus, when we were his enemies, when we were wicked and evil, when we were defiled, still he loved us. And I'm not talking about wishy-washy feelings. I'm not talking about Hollywood love. I'm not talking about passion and romance in that sense. I'm talking about the kind of love that sacrifices self for the good of the other. He loves you enough To see his own son Jesus crucified for your gain. You need to know that. You need to know that God's love with your soul, with your mind, with your heart, with your body, with your actions—it has to ooze in all of your pores, such that what comes out of you is love. You need to know it so deeply that the thing that is only in your heart such that it might spring out is exactly that same love. Now we're in 1 John chapter 3 today, so I hope you kept your finger in there. Uh, The last three weeks we're having a break from Romans, so we're not doing what we normally do, which is just work through chapters of the Bible. Instead we've had three kind of topical weeks, and our topic today obviously is love. I've got a whole bunch of thoughts mostly. This is a bit less of a coherent argument throughout this sermon so you may find it very helpful to be taking notes. You should have an outline on the handout as you came in. We begin by recognising that we are commanded to love. God tells us to do it. So that's kind of easy to see. right? You can see verse 11. 1 John 3, verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This isn't something new. I'm not going to teach you anything exciting or different or revolutionary. This is the message from the beginning. Jesus said to his disciples, The world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in action and in truth. We're commanded to do it. However, we love for more than just the fact that we're commanded to do it. We love because that's the family we're in. Our family is a family of love. Have you ever thought about that? You look around the people of you, you go, got this family, these brothers and these sisters. They are a family of love because our Father is a Father of love. It was verse 10, that awkward little verse that I put in that's kind of behind that really unhelpful heading. And it sets out the reality that in the world there are two families. There's the family of God and there's the family of the devil. And you belong to one or to the other. Now, that thought is a big one and you may want to ponder upon that further to think that people who aren't part of the family of God are therefore part of the family of the devil. But notice how you can tell what family you belong to. Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. We love because we belong to the family of the one who loves. They say as you grow older, you start to resemble one of your parents more and more and more. Uh, I I have grave fears for Eleanor because I suspect that the parent she will grow to resemble will be me, which is a little bit unfortunate for her, but uh, the beard especially will be really just... Anyway, I'm like my dad, right? I mean, that's, that's just how we grow up to be. And we grow up to love because our father is a father of love, our heavenly father. We grow up to be like him. It marks us out. It is distinctive to us that we love. And what kind of love is it? What's the definition of this love? Well, look again at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the kind of love we're talking about. We're not talking, again, about the feelings. We're not talking about the Hollywood kind of love. We're not talking about falling into this emotion. We're talking about Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. Now notice who did it. Jesus laid down his life. He he didn't need to do that. I, I don't know if you've ever realized that before. Jesus didn't need to die for you. It's not like he woke up one day and went, Oh gee, I I've oh, I've got this pressing. I'm, I'm gonna have to do it. I really don't want it, but I'm just gonna. It's God. He's sufficient perfectly within himself. He didn't need to. It's not like it's not like those. People who do good, but for their own sake. Right, I'm going to do good because it makes me feel good. Or I'm going to do good because I can get something out of it. It's a little bit like tax-deductible donations. Now, they're good. The government allows us to do it. We can benefit from them. By all means, go ahead. But I always feel a little bit uncomfortable because I'm donating to this good cause, but then I'm kind of forcing the government to do it by getting my money back off the government. It's, it's a weird sort of thing where I'm doing good for m- myself. Ah. I- Don't get me wrong, if you do tax-deductible donations, keep going by all means, but Jesus isn't like that. He didn't have to sacrifice himself because he needed to. He chose to lay down his life. He chose to sacrifice everything. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Now, If you're anything like me, you tend to set boundaries to how far you will go to sacrifice for others. Do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll serve you with my time, but not with my money. I'll, I'll put my boundary there. Or I'll, I'll sacrifice my money, but, uh, but not my possessions. Or, uh, okay, fine, I'll sacrifice my possessions, but not my home. I, I don't know where your line is. I'll sacrifice my home, but not my family. You can't touch my... I'll sacrifice my family, but not my body. As soon as my health starts to be... I don't know where your line is. We were talking about it just this week in a very different context Jesus sacrificed everything. He laid down his life. There was no boundary where he said, well, it's a bit uncomfortable now, so I'll stop. But notice who he laid down his life for. It was for you and for me. It's very easy to love people who are lovely. It's very easy to love people who love you back. Most mornings, I go and open the door to the kids' room. They've already been up playing for an hour, so they're kind of bored. I open the door and they go, Daddy! And they love it and they kind of give me a hug. And Gee, you can't help but love them at that point in time anyway. I mean, there's others where let's not talk about it. But it's easy to love people who love you back. But don't be under any illusion. Jesus loved us when we were completely unlovely. Jesus loved us when we hated him. You need to spend a moment thinking about the people that you don't get along with, the, the, those uncomfortable people, the smelly ones, the arrogant ones, perhaps the ones who are just downright rude, the ones who hurt you and take from you, the ones who never even want to speak of forgiveness, let alone reconciliation. Those ones, were the ones that Jesus loved. Me. You. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about the kind of love that is chosen, that chooses to lay down their life, everything for the good of people who hate them. That's the kind of life, you, the kind of love that you are called to. Notice that it is an active love. All right. Read again, verse sixteen. This is how we know what love is. It's not that we had feelings, it's not that we thought this, it's not that we know. We know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. We're talking about doing things for each other. At its most basic, it is taking all that I have and all that I am and all that my circumstances entail and applying them into the lives of those around me, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, that they may benefit even when it costs me, perhaps especially. So I got a phone call this week. Uh, I I know the number, I saw it come up, and I've got to admit, it's. it's, I've become familiar with this number, and gee, I'm tempted to let it go through to the keeper. You know, I don't know if you can do it on your phone, on my phone, I can push the power button, and the the, the call keeps ringing, but the phone doesn't ring, if you know what I'm saying. So the person calling doesn't know that I've seen their call, and it just goes through to voicemail, and uh, this one is tempting. I know who it is, right? It's this guy, uh, he, comes, he comes to this area once every couple of months or so. He lives a fair way out, away from Sydney. Uh, and he comes for medical treatment that he needs to get at the hospitals here. But he never brings enough money to get home. And, and we're talking far away enough that it's a $100 ticket to get home, right? It's not, it's not I need 15 bucks. His call is always I need $150. bucks. i am out of hospital now. I can prove it to you. I've got all the paperwork, right? But I've got no way to get home. Can you help me out? Uh, That night, Sophia had been up spewing all night. So I'd seen every hour of the clock except three and five and Edwina got to see those as well, so she got to see every hour on the clock. Uh, Edwina had now was having her turn with the bug that Sophia had had. Uh, Oliver had just woken up and was screaming at me and the two kids had just come out of their room and were demanding to be fed. And I'm on the phone and he's saying, look, I'm, I'm in Ingleburn, I've got no way of getting home. Gee, it's cold, I'm cold right now. What is love? Go, be well fed, be warm. You'll find somebody to help you. I'm busy. My family needs me. I'm worn out. Let us love in action. We'd had an agreement and he'd broken it. I mean, I, I had excuses. I had reasons to say, no, go away. Loving only happens in actions, not in words. Hey, you can tell someone you love them or you can show them. Don't be mistaken. If we truly love each other this way, the world is going to hate us. It's a very strange thought. It's one that I'm still wrestling with. I'm still trying to understand what it looks like. But it is true. Verse 13, in fact, let's go back to verse 12. Verse 12, see this is the pattern from the very beginning. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, verse 13, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. I'm still trying to understand how this plays out. I don't often feel like my neighbours hate me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I walk too much in Christian circles. But the thing is that as we love each other, what we demonstrate to the world is that God has taken us out of death and brought us into life. And people who are still in death don't like being reminded. Perhaps you might see it a bit clearer. Maybe, I think, especially people who have family that aren't Christian. Oh, you're going to church again. I mean, how much time do you want to spend there? You keep just giving yourself to these people. When are you going to have some for me? What, you, you're going to miss family Christmas yet again because you're going to church. You, you go every week. I mean, you do so much for them. You, I, I don't know. Maybe that's one place where you see it. However, expect it. Don't be surprised if because you love particularly the brothers and sisters in Christ, the world hates you. And you've got to understand the warning that comes from Cain and Abel. You've got to understand the warning that comes from that story. Verse 15 spells it out for us. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Loving one another is not optional. It's not a thing you get to do when you're feeling at the top of your game. And when life's going all right, then I've got a bit of energy to spare to love others. Nor is it optional to hate your brothers and sisters in Christ. In my years of ministry, the one thing that people struggle with the most is forgiveness. There's that there's that person who wronged me so badly and I just I'm going to hold I have to hold on to it. I cannot forgive them. I cannot release. I cannot let go. You need to know that hatred hatred is equal to murder. What you want is you want that person to be out of your life. They are inconvenient to you to put it mildly. And the only reason you don't get rid of them with a bullet is because the law will put you in jail or whatever, right? Hatred is the same as murder. You want them out of your life. And we cannot have that. It is so common outside of Christ. It's everywhere. I don't want you in my life, so I'm going to remove you. We have an epidemic of abortion because people go, I don't want you in my life. We have an epidemic of divorce because people go, I don't want you in my life. And now, surprise, surprise, they're starting to talk about euthanasia, right? I don't want you in my life. All stages of life. We cannot be like that. Christian, be warned. Don't let there be unforgiveness in your heart. If there is somebody in the body of Christ that you won't talk to, then you need to go and resolve it. You need to go and do what's necessary that you can deal with the conflict and restore a relationship of love, of self-sacrifice and of giving. Well, God loves you. You need to know that. We've got to start there. God loves you passionately, unrelentingly for your good at cost to himself and needs to infuse you so that what comes out of you is that love. Now, I've come up with seven application thoughts. They're random. I came up with them. You're going to come up with different ones. However, here are my seven. Number one, and of course we've got to start here, do you know God's love? Do you know that he sacrificed Jesus for you? If you don't know that, if you haven't accepted that sacrifice, all the rest of the points don't matter. They're irrelevant. You've got to come and sort that one out first. You're not going to love like Jesus loves if you don't know Jesus' love. Secondly, if you do know that love, and all the rest are then for you, The question I want in your mind as you leave today, the question I want you pondering this week, is how can I, how can you, how can I love the family of God more? Not in words, but in deeds, in action, in reality. Which individual, which person, which family can I love more? Who can I do good for? There you go, I'll put it that way for you. Who else can I do good for? Uh, And not the people that you have to love because you've got to love them. Others that you choose to. Perhaps particularly even the unlovely. The ones that really just get on your nerves. How are you going to love them? Thirdly, Anonymous church attendance is not really church attendance. If if your experience of church is that you come in each week, kind of head down, and you sit yourself in your pew, you don't talk to anybody, nobody knows you, you just come to have your moment with God, your God fix, and then you leave again, blinkers on, no talking, no loving, then you haven't really got it. God gathers us for fellowship. He gathers us to demonstrate his love to one another. If you're going to tell me that you've spent an hour gazing into the face of God and all you've come away with is selfishness, then all I'm hearing is that you've spent that hour gazing at your navel, not at God. For if you spend an hour gazing into the majesty that is the God who loves the unlovely, then surely what you're going to do in return is one to love the unlovely. Maybe you come to church and you think to yourself, but I don't need help. I don't need you to help me. I'm okay. Well, that's nice. But what if we need you? You can't follow Jesus and be somebody who's only interested in getting and not in giving. Fourthly, The system will only get you so far. We try as a church to create opportunities for fellowship. That's kind of why we have morning tea, for example, after church. We could just finish and go home. I mean, that's all right. We can go and have a biscuit and a cuppa at home. The point is we want to create opportunities for us to fellowship with each other. You can't love someone you don't know. It's very hard to. That's why we have Bible study groups. We want to be fed by the word and we want to have time together. That's why we do events half the time. I mean, our church events are working. Yeah, it's nice to get stuff done around church, but we're spending time, relationships together. Now, the system, the church, can only get you so far. And to be perfectly honest, the system isn't all that great. I mean, we've got some good things going, but at the end of the day, it's going to require you and me to take responsibility for it. To go, well, I'm kind of sick of sitting here waiting for somebody else to come and create my circle and my relational networks for me, and to start doing it ourselves. Oh, you've got to eat. Other people have got to eat. Eat together. Hey, do you want to come and join me? Easy. You're just going to eat what I'm eating. I'm not going to do anything special. We're going to eat. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk, and then you can go home again. I mean, that's. The point is the system will only get you so far. Use it, but improve it. It's upon each of one of us. Fifthly, uh, I understand these are very random, right? I hope you're writing them down, jotting them down such that you can, at some point in time, think them through. Fifth, you need to be able to accept love. I find it really sad when Christians try to be self-sufficient. When Christians say to others, oh, no, no, I don't need your help. I'm okay, I can do it. It's it's especially bad for us, because we're wealthy by and large, And so we can do it all ourselves. Do you need help? Oh, no, it's okay, I can take a taxi rather than asking someone for a lift. Do you want to move? Yeah, yeah, I'll get removalists. We don't need the bunch of guys with the trailer. Do you want to... Do you need help cooking? Oh, no, I can just order a meal over the phone. It's super easy, right? Accept help. Accept love. Mum, I love my mum. She's... Her, 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 one of her love languages is acts of service. She just loves doing things for other people, right? So she'll come over and wash up and do the washing and sweep. and you know, I, I love her to bits. But she's often said to me, whenever we've gone to ask for help, she's often said, have you asked people at church first? It's not that she doesn't love us. It's not that she doesn't want to help. The point is, have you given your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to love you? Stop being selfish. Give them a chance to do good for you. Now, if you're really stuck, of course I'll come and help, but accept love. Sixth, there's a little one. Make sure you support each other. If the world is going to hate us for loving, then we need to be caring for one another in that. Seventh, don't leave today without organising to spend time with someone. You can't love somebody you don't know. It's just, you you can't do it. You don't know what sort of love they need. So before you go today, line up a coffee, have someone over for a meal, go to the football, watch TV, go to the movies. I don't know what it is. Come and garden. Do your own gardening. Ask somebody to come and help you hang out washing. Whatever it is. Organise some time to spend with somebody. Know that God loves you deeply, profusely, at great cost to himself. And so, brother and sister, will you show that love to each other? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that despite our unloveliness, still you loved us. And still you love us. Thank you. And so please, would you help us to hold on to that love with everything that we are and everything that we have such that it would ooze out of us. Teach us to love each other. Take away from us our selfishness and our comfort, our desire to protect our own selves and to put these boundaries in place. And instead, Father, would you teach us to pour ourselves out for one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.